The full story of the Samaritan woman at the well and Jesus' commentary and promises beyond that. Well, old Clay is here today with his own water jug, like that Samaritan woman. And we invite all the kids that are here today and all of you that would consider yourself this morning young at heart, regardless of your age or stage, come down here and meet with me for just a moment. Regardless of, regardless of age or stage, that's right. Good morning, you all. Good morning. Well, I have here an old friend, an old friend for my camping, canoeing, and kayaking days when I come along. We strap this into the canoe and away we go. It's obviously a five-gallon water jug, isn't it? Take a look. Now, this water jug is not full. In fact, it's only about halfway. No, it's not even halfway full. It's about a quarter full. Who would like to try to lift that water jug with one hand? Give it a shot, Isaac. All right, Hamish. Look at that strong guy. Okay, I put it down there. Sir Hamish, how about you? All right. Looking good. Looking good. See, these guys are mus- muscled up. Annie, you want to try it? Oh, no, I think so. Okay. That's right. That's right. Can you imagine the difficulty it would be, it would have, if this five-gallon water jug was full to the brim? And you or me or any of us here would have to lug this water jug any length of distance at all. It'd be quite a chore, even with a handle, even with a handle. But in the day of the Samaritan woman who encountered Jesus at the well, um, water jugs looked quite different back in that day. Plastic hadn't been invented yet. Uh, pottery, other sorts of things, uh, comprised what made water jugs available. And sometimes they had handles, but in this particular case, this woman that Mrs. Sutton read about just a moment ago and that Pastor Caroline in just a moment is going to preach on, uh, handles would not have been of much help. No, when she went to the local well, To get water for the day, for herself and for her family, she would have to lift that jug after she had filled it to the brim. Five gallons, ten gallons, more gallons. Gallons of water weigh a lot. Weigh a lot. And she would have to balance it on her head and walk back to her home. Quite a chore. Now, I'm not exactly sure what Pastor Caroline and how Pastor Caroline is going to preach and teach on Jesus' encounter with the Samaritan woman at the well, but I do know a couple of things about this woman. So let's think about it for just a minute. Number one, she went to the well at precisely the wrong time of the day every day. In the heat of the day, in or around the noon hour or later, to draw water for herself and for her family, more than likely. And the reason that she did is because she did not want to encounter anybody. She didn't want to encounter anybody because nobody, at least the self-righteous folks in that village of Sychar, nobody wanted to encounter her. She was not thought very well of by some people in the community because of a bit of information that she shares with Jesus in the story. And you may hear about that. No, she was a lonely person. She had issues in her life. And 
She was just trying, struggling to survive. But obviously she was a strong and resourceful person in more ways than one. And there she met Jesus at the well and things began to turn around. And not only for her, but for everybody else in that village eventually. But at the first, you see, she was so captured and changed by what Jesus did and said to her that she took her full water jug, went back into the village, and even though she was afraid to encounter people because of what people thought of her, and because people really were not interested in speaking and relating to her, she couldn't help it. In spite of the fact of those things, she went to people and she shared what she had experienced from this man, Jesus. Even though a lot of people in that village were not interested in hearing anything that she had to say, probably, she couldn't help it. She had to tell about what she knew. And in the doing of that, if you were listening closely to what Miss Sutton read just a moment ago, when Jesus began to talk about that the fields were white unto harvest and everybody's got a part to play in harvesting those lives in terms of God's love and care, she went out and she shared with people what she knew. And not only did that happen then, but people listened. And before it was all said and done, Jesus had done some things to change their lives too. And in the process, I would bet you, changed those people's attitudes about that woman as well. So that by the time it was all said and done, not only was Jesus and his power and his love in their life, but they were friends with one another, I do suspect. And that grace, rather than looking down their nose at each other, was what became true. Amazing what a trip to a well might do, even when you're looking to avoid everybody. There's one person out there we can't avoid, and we don't want to avoid, and that is Jesus. So let's listen to what Pastor Caroline may be having to share here in just a second about Jesus and his encounter with the Samaritan woman at the well. All right, anybody want to carry this back to your seat and hold it for me before... Until the church service is over. Can I have a taker? Anybody? No? No? I'll just keep my water jug then. Kitty's coming for it. There you go. Let us pray. Dear God, thank you for harvests. Thank you for Jesus. And thank you for the words we share. And those who would listen to those words. Amen. Thank you, guys. Bless you this week. Well, if you get thirsty, you know where the water is. Let us pray. Spirit of the living God, Fall afresh on us this day. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh. 
Amen. Well, since we gave you a marathon of a first scripture reading, and thank you so much, Darlene, for that wonderful reading, we're going to dive right in this morning. And I want to begin by asking you, how are you today? How are you? Good. Or maybe to put it in terms of our Methodist heritage, our Wesleyan tradition, how is it with your soul? Well, I'm glad. That question uh, always makes me pause. It always catches me a little off guard. Um, I had a mentor pastor who was assigned to me years ago, and we used to meet fairly regularly. And whenever we gathered together, she would ask me that question. She was another Methodist pastor. She would look at me calmly, just this peace about her, and one of those looks that kind of looks right in you and say, how is it with your soul? And I always knew it was coming. (laughs) And it always made me a little bit anxious that I knew it was coming because, oh, that cut right inside. There, There was no hiding behind that question. And it made my world stop. It made the whirlwind in my head and in my soul and in my being that was swirling. It made life just kind of halt. Because in order to answer that question, I had to pause. And I had to breathe. And I had to make space in my head and in my heart to wonder, how is it with my soul? I mean, really? Really? Some of you... This past week, um, I think I've expressed a little bit concerned about the state of, if not my soul, then my being. And summer can do that to you. Uh, summer, especially in children's ministry, you know, you get family vacation and you get trips to church camp and you get project transformation and vacation Bible school is coming and all the while trying not to let fall creep up on you unawares. And I have to tell you, this past week, the first few days, I was exhausted. I was tired. It took me a little while to catch my breath and to sit and think, how is it with my soul? Knowing that this Sunday was coming, knowing this time of coming together and worship is coming. Because I wanted to be here. I wanted to be fully present as we gather to worship and hear The words from the scripture proclaimed and read. And as I was thinking about this Sunday coming, I didn't want to be tired. I didn't want to be exhausted. I wanted my soul to be refreshed. Um, Because way back when we thought, well, we're going to have a series called Heroes of the Bible. You know, the Olympics are coming. You get all these strong and amazing people coming out and doing wondrous feats. Heroes would be wonderful to do. And when I knew that this Sunday was going to be the Samaritan woman at the well, I was excited uh, because two or three years ago, I was at um, a gathering of clergy people and a professor from Perkins was there, the Reverend Dr. Jamie Clark Souls, and she gave a talk. I mean, it was probably a couple of hours about this woman at the well, and she had this fresh insight and she saw it from a new perspective. And I love it when that happens, when you read a story and you go, oh, 
all this time, I never saw that there. And so when I saw this Sunday coming, you know, my grand idea was to distill this professor's lifetime of work in the Gospel of John, like I was going to spend hours and hours in academic research catching up with her, right, and distill it down to a 15 or 20 minutes for us here today. Realistic goal, right? That we would all walk away with this wonderful new academic perspective and intellectual enlightenment and progressive thinking. But as the week went on, and on, the question that kept coming back to me had nothing to do with my head and my understanding. It was, how is it with your soul? And I'm not asking that this morning to make this my own personal therapy session, or yours, for that matter, for this is the hour that we gather together to worship the Lord our God, to gather together as brothers and sisters in Christ and family. I asked that question this morning because I wonder, and if you can see from where you're sitting, our woman at the well that is with us in worship every Sunday, I wonder how it is with her soul. And my guess, if I were to wonder today, is that she is tired. I'm not sure, though, if she's tired for the reasons that we traditionally think she is tired. She sits in our window here in shadow, in darkness. She has almost no coloring to her at all. The rest of the window is bright and vibrant and life. But you and I, we, and all those who have come before us, have put her in the corner and in shadow with no name. We know her. We know this woman, and I imagine her soul is weary and tired. Tired, yes, because she comes to the well at a time where she doesn't have to encounter others. But as we look at the scriptures, this wonderful story, I'm sure you were counting, there were 42 verses. You looked at your bulletin and went, oh my, 42 verses. Out of 42 verses, do you know that there's only one, two? that refer to the affairs of her life. Most, I'm guessing, of what we know about these 42 verses are those two about her marital history. That's what we know. We know that, oh, gracious, Jesus was gracious enough to condescend to her and redeem her. And, and we celebrate that. It, I know we're not at summer at the movies anymore, but we're going to transition a little. Pride and Prejudice fans, it reminds me, you know, what kind of what we probably think about this scripture. In Pride and Prejudice, there is Mr. Collins, the one who marries uh, their friend Charlotte instead of one of the sisters. And Mr. Collins loves to rhapsodize about the Lady Catherine de Beau. 
And one of the phrases that always stuck with me in, in complimenting her and telling about how wonderful she was is such condescension. And I always thought, why in the world is that a good thing to say to anybody? Such condescension. And, and I read a, a little article about that that, well, you know, back in that day, that would have not been seen as an insult that somebody would have been condescending. It was that they were laying aside, you know, all the um, glories due to them because of their position. They, were, they, would, they would lay that aside and condescend you. Such condescension. I think we think that about Jesus here. Such condescension. But I want to have her speak up. We'll get another movie reference in here. My Fair Lady. And Audrey Hepburn saying, I know I'm a common ignorant girl and you are a book-learned gentleman, but I am not dirt under your feet. And I think she says that to us today. Because really, I don't know why she's had five husbands, do you? She could be following in the tradition of, of the Old Testament law that we read, and perhaps that sixth brother just refused to marry her. I don't know. I don't know. And we don't know, though we think we do, so I think she is tired. I think she is tired and weary. But she is not dirt under our feet. She is certainly not dirt under Jesus' feet. They sit at the well together. They sit at the well together. And what strikes me about this encounter with Christ is how different it is from uh, perhaps the story of the four friends. The story of the four friends, when Jesus sees this man lowered from the roof, what does he say to him? Your sins are forgiven. That is noticeably absent from this story. That does not come up. He knows something about this woman, as a prophet would, and then continues to invite her into relationship, to teach her more about this faith that she knows the Messiah is coming. She has this faith. She has this place of worship where the Samaritans worship. It's different than the place where the Jews worship, because we know from the story of the Good Samaritan that Samaritans and Jews don't want anything to do with each other. And he draws her in. And they continue to to talk, and she learns from him, and then she is my hero. She is my hero because, because of her, a whole village is able to come and meet Jesus. A whole village comes and meet Jesus. And while, yes, she, she didn't want to meet anybody at that well, when she goes to town, when she starts proclaiming, What has happened to her? They listen. They're interested. They're curious. They trust her enough to go out, I'm guessing, still in the middle of this very hot day, and to meet Jesus there. So she is my hero. I want to lift her up out of those shadows. I want to bring color and life and spirit to her face. We will never know her name. But she had faith, and she wondered And she trusted. And because of her, so many were brought to faith. Not because of her story, as we heard, but because they came to Jesus themselves and met Jesus and spent time with Jesus and began to have that relationship for themselves. They began to see 
who this person really is. Um, I mentioned last week at summer camp with our children a week ago, we journeyed through the life of Christ through the Gospel of John. And we looked at many of the statements, I am. I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. And here in this story, in the middle of these 42 verses there, in verse 26, we have another. But this one is different. And, and the English translation cheats us a little bit because it, it sticks in a, a pronoun here. But in the Greek, Jesus' reply to her is, I am. We don't need any more words. We don't need the bread of life or the light or the good shepherd or the vine. I am. And we have heard those words before. I am. And here we are invited to come and to listen to her testimony and her story and to sit at the feet of the great, the holy. I am. And worship. When we first imagined this, this uh, series, Heroes of the Bible, I think we were, you know, as we were thinking about the Olympics and, and things like that, and it might be fun, we were thinking, you know, David and Goliath and these other mighty people of the Bible, such powerful figures, and, and some of them big and known like David, and some of them a little more obscure. Um, but then something odd happened. I was inspired at annual conference. Who knew? Well, wonders never cease. At uh, annual conference where all our pastors of this area and church members gather together. And this year and last, our meeting place happened to be at St. Andrew's United Methodist Church in Plano. And um, as we were gathering in there, Brandy Bender, Brandy Bender was one of our lay members this year. And I overheard her talking to, I think it was Belinda Katz or something, maybe. I don't know if it was you, Belinda. And um, Brandy had been last year to conference at this place, and she was telling, I think it was Belinda, about the sanctuary where we were gathering for most of our meetings. And she was saying the ceiling is so high that when you're looking at the speaker, you can't even see it in your peripheral vision. I mean, it's just so grand. And I thought, well, I've been in this space before. I've never noticed that. And so next time we went and sat down, I sat. I'm like, oh, my goodness, I can't see the ceiling. And so while some, you know, very inspiring report was going on, I started looking at the ceiling. <laughs> and it is. It is massive. It is so tall. And it is so big. And there's so many panels in it, I guess, for acoustics. You know how they built it. And then all the, the handiwork along the side. And they had you know, indirect lighting that they had done in special colors for the conference. And I sat there thinking, who in the world got on that scaffolding and put up that panel? Who on earth was the woodworker who carved that piece? Who were all the nameless, nameless names I do not know and will never know workers that built this grand place of worship and i thought you know heroes of the bible i want to pick one with no name i want a hero with no name because i wondered about these people who had built this magnificent place of worship and if they had any other connection to the faith 
other than the fact that they had come and labored so hard to construct this beautiful place for God's people to gather together. And, oh, I I wish and I hope they do. Because those people with no names are my heroes. I, I don't have those skills. I, I tell people I'm not afraid of heights. I'm just afraid of falling from heights. Um, and here we have this woman at the well. I, she has no name. I will never know her name. But because of her, like those workers who built that wonderful sanctuary, so many are now able to gather together and worship. I kind of even wonder, you know, if, if the whole village came to know came to know Jesus because of her story. I wonder if there is even part of our scriptures, you know, written generations later, that perhaps would not have happened if it had not been for her. I wonder how many families were influenced. I wonder how many families the stories got passed down because of this one woman's encounter and because of her boldness and her faith running into the village and sharing with great passion and joy her story. Oh, I so much want her to inspire me. (laughs) I want to be one of those nameless heroes. I want to be one of those people that someday, oh, people aren't going to know my name and the photos are going to fade and I'm going to be one of those pictures of old people in a box that (laughs) generations later nobody knows my name. But I hope that lives are different because you and I gather here in the presence of God. Yes, to be forgiven. Yes, to be redeemed. But mostly because we gather together and for Jesus to invite us in and then for us to go with joy and with hope. That we have encountered and sat with, I am. Amen.